Welcome to the Get Social Dublin Invest in Your Community podcast series. I'm Michelle Acharity and in this series we'll be telling the stories of a number of social entrepreneurs in Dublin and the people they support. Why they started, what gets them up in the morning, what their biggest challenges are and why they need your support. Social enterprises are businesses that use their profits to improve the lives of people and create positive change in the community. Doing business with a social enterprise means you're making a real difference. To show your support for this podcast series, share your purchase or interaction with a social enterprise in Dublin on social media, along with the hashtag GetSocialDublin. This project was approved by the government with support from the Dormant Accounts Fund. In our fourth podcast in the Get Social Dublin series, we are discussing how social enterprises impact their communities and the social return on investment. People may comprehend a definition of social enterprise, but that alone is not enough to help someone understand the general concept behind a social enterprise. Often without an example in mind, most people are still not able to completely comprehend the way a social enterprise works. This podcast, we are looking at social entrepreneurship examples that will assist in understanding why social enterprises are important for society and how they're impacting people's lives. I would like to welcome Adele O'Connor, Project Coordinator, Doris Bui, and Joy Corrigan at the, from the Arch Cafe in the F2 Centre in Dublin 8. And they're going to introduce themselves and we'll have a conversation about social enterprises and the impact. Adele, if you would like to introduce yourself, please. Yeah. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? Um, I'm Adele O'Connor. I'm the programme coordinator in Durusby. We're a social enterprise based in the Coolock area and we work mainly with uh, lone parent families across all North Dublin. So we provide a full-time early years service. Um, we have a resource centre which provides pre-vocational educational course, community education. We have one-to-one supports with information and support. We also run a team parent support programme. We have sensory space available for children with additional needs. Um, we have an adult counselling service and a child counselling service. And we are hoping to start up Rainbows very soon. And um, that's basically, we, we offer a wraparound service from the cradle to the grave for families in the local community. Thank you, Adele. And Joy, if you would like to introduce the Arch Cafe at the F2 Centre. Hi, Michelle. My name is Joy Corrigan. I work for the Arch Cafe, which is situated at Tree Rubens Plaza, Dublin 8. Um, I am an F2 Business Enterprise Development Manager. And the first business I'm developing is the Arch Cafe. The aim of the Arch Cafe is to provide a home away from home from all of our local customers, to give them somewhere that they can feel safe and sit and have a chat. Also, they can avail of all of the courses that are available. Doesn't matter what age you are. We have boxing, majorettes, keep fit classes, knitting, uh, gardening, artwork. And while you have, when you do your course, you are more than welcome to come to the Arch Cafe for some good homemade cooked food at a great reasonable price where you'll always find a friendly face and somewhere to feel like home. Thank you, Joy. From talking to both of you this morning about the work that you do, do you think a social enterprise has to be impactful and ready to demonstrate it? Is that a challenge that you find that people are constantly asking not only what what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but how you're actually impactful and the stories behind people's lives? And do you think that you need to connect on an emotional level to increase impact that once people understand, oh, that's what you do, or this is the people's lives that you're allowing them to transform their life or empowering them or giving supports they may not get elsewhere. What do you think makes a difference with your social enterprise? Del, please. 
Well, we do have an emotional impact in, in, in the community and an, anyone that comes to the service, a lot of the support that we do provide is emotional support. However, that gets lost when you're targeting funders or looking for policy changes. It's difficult to find out what's going on on the ground, like how they impact the social goods that actually happens in the centre. It's like magic that happens when people come in. They're in a safe space. God only knows what they're escaping. They could be escaping domestic violence. They could be homeless. They could be couch surfing. With some of the teen parents, the homeless rate is very high and they're sleeping on friends' sofas with babies and very difficult environments. But they come into Dorosway and we offer them a cuppa and a space to have a chat and we hear them and we listen to them and we try to support them and we guide them in the direction of the family law courts or free legal aid, aid advice, women's aid. If they need to go to a refuge, we'll support them and that. We hold their hand and empower them to make decisions in their lives to create better outcomes for themselves and for their children. But it's very difficult to capture. We can give funders statistics. We can give them the amount of people that are coming in. We can give them the level of education, the number of people. So the funders and policymakers are interested in numbers, whereas we're looking at the social good and the impact that we're making. We're trying to capture the magic, basically, that happens in rural space and to wrap that up as the social enterprise can be challenging. That's one of the big challenges that we have. Thank you. And Joy, if you could tell me a little bit about the social impact that you feel you have in Dublin 8. Um, well, we like to provide a safe place for people to come. As I've said before, it doesn't matter what age you are. For instance, I met um, a customer had come into the shop, coffee shop the other day. She was a little bit upset. She was an elderly woman. She had been made retire from work and she wanted to fill our space. She didn't realise that we were there, gave her a cup of coffee and a scone and had a little chat with her about the F2 Enterprise Centre that was beside us and told her that we do courses that start from nine o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, whether it's keep fit, knitting, gardening. So she wrote everything down. She's a very happy woman. She comes into us twice a week now to have a cup of tea, a little scone just to show me what she's been knitting or what gardening thing. So we just want to give people somewhere to go, feed them with nice food, good social uh, chat with the staff and the customers that are coming around and then for them to avail of the courses to better their skills and also just for company, which is what a lot of people need. And the area that we're in is a regenerated area that we've young children and elderly people as well that either don't have support at home or don't have friends at home. And we would like to think that we can provide that for them. Thank you. And in the podcast series, we've been discussing a number of the challenges that social enterprises face on a daily basis. And often they have said there's a lack of recognition of the work that they are doing, that it's a complex impact measurement. And often with the work that both of you do, you might be trying to protect the individuals or, or it can be very hard to get that social return on investment. As in, you can have stats, as you said, Adele, about the level of education or perhaps if it's something in the courts, but other than that, to actually tell the real story that it often there isn't the... The paperwork just doesn't capture that. And that there, some of the social enterprises also, there's a need for regulatory structure. But on the other hand, that this can become on a day-to-day basis when you're trying to achieve your social mission. If you're spending all of your time on administration work or trying to capture financial data or prepare financial data, apply for grants. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the day-to-day work, what you find are the challenges in trying to be when you have constantly in the back of your head, we have to make a profit, how that works, the balance that you're trying, as opposed to if it was purely a, a charity or if you're purely a traditional enterprise where it's all about the profit. Can you talk to me a little bit about the challenges you face on a daily basis? Yeah, um, well, we provide an excellent full-time early years service and that enables um, 
not just lone parent families, but it's open to all families to return to education and to return to employment. So it's open from 8am till 6pm. And that's from um, six months. We've only recently, because of the COVID guidelines, we had to have um, from 12 months, but we've reduced that back down to six months up to preschool age. So we have 80 places currently for 80 families to, to use the service. And the children come into a safe environment and all the earlier staff are trained to a high level. And we do child protection guidelines and the children's force to keep it everybody upskilled. We also do trauma-informed practice training and we'll work with wherever families we're dealing with. We have some families who have been sent to us from Tuesday as well, so we'll support the family. So we link the family and then with the resource centre and as an information and support session, we look at the needs of the family and we'll try and match whatever services we can provide with the needs, whether it's adult counselling, whether it's play therapy, use of the sensory room, if it's team parent support, that's all about uh, trying to encourage the young parents, uh, the young mothers and the young fathers to complete their education, whether that's through formal education or youth reach or an apprenticeship, whatever it is, just funding there to support them through that. And then the older parents, we'd look at what sort we can do pre-vocational education courses with them. So at the moment we have drama and art. We have a, a course called You Can Heal Your Life, which is based on... Um, Louise L. Hayes uh, teachings and then we have child, child um, parent therapy so that's about teaching the adults to do the the play therapy at home creating a safe space and they're given the resources then to do that at home and then we have the first aid of response training and that's the only accredited programme we're running at the moment so next week they'll be doing an exam for that and then they'll receive a certificate so that's all about basic first aid CPR how to use a defibrillator and stuff like that so they they're gaining mm. skills, but it's not only the skills that they gain when they come to Dorsey. They gain support. They're removed from the isolation in their lives. They're learning other things. They might come for an art class, but they might just want to sit and have a cup of tea and a chat, and that's okay. And during that time, they might get information from other people in the group about some um, payment that they're not aware that they should be availing of. Like with long parent families, the, the, the main thing that they will say when they come is that they're isolated. There's a huge stigma around parenting alone still in this country. The, some of the media stereotypes can be very negative around long parent families that they don't work, that they don't do this, this, that and the other. When in fact the truth is 80, 90, 80 to 90% of long parents have to work because they couldn't survive. And um, all those challenges that are faced on a daily basis from statutory agencies they go in and these assumptions are made. So we encourage the lone parent families. We try to empower them by giving them information and support and we try to get them to a space where they're not just surviving, they're actually thriving and they're making positive decisions and they're, they're encouraging their children to, who would be could be early school leavers to, to go on and they're watching their parents making better decisions. So that that impacts the whole family and even um siblings, brothers and sisters. We sometimes we would have families that would come. People find it difficult. The name of the organisation is called Doors Way. It's it was based on the word door. People find doors difficult and people find it difficult to admit that they need help right across the board, not just mm. long parent families. Everyone finds it difficult. So they don't like coming and saying, I actually need help here. Well, we just come in, sit them down, listen to them. We'll do a needs assessment and without them even realising they're getting a needs assessment done, we'll ask them would they like to go through a personal action plan and set goals for themselves and what they would like. Some of them are just surviving and that's okay. We'll just sit with them until they're ready to move on. So that's that's basically 
what happens when they come in. And do you think that's the key to your success? Is it that you can meet people at the Where level they're at. that they're at rather yeah. than trying to say, here's our, our menu and it's XXX yeah. and people feel they're being forced through a process as yeah. opposed to being able to engage yeah. and the opportunities are there and they can select when they feel ready, whether that's, you know, in their own personal life or that if it's something in their head to feel, okay, this is the time for me now. I, you know, there's opportunities out there. And can you also tell me, it just struck me there while you were talking about the ripple effect and the role models. A lot of social enterprise in this series have mentioned how it wasn't intended as part of the social mission, but yeah. that's so much of what they've seen is that by providing role models and brave people to say, look, I have, there is no stigma. This is what I've gone yeah. through, but I've managed to overcome. We do, we can control, we can, there's certain things that happen that we can't, but there's other things that you absolutely can and there's options out there. Yeah. How have you found that experience as in for Well, I can tell you my own story. Great. So I, I originally, I, I always worked all my life. I never claimed a loan payment payment or anything like that. So I didn't fit, it was called on my just back then. And I didn't fit into the uh, negative stereotype of the media of being an unmarried mother or a loan parent or a single mother, whatever term you want to use. Um, so I didn't think I was a loan parent. So when uh, one of my cousins were, got into a bit of difficulty and her mother said to us, why don't you go down to Doris where do you have a drop-in service and just go in? And I said, yeah, come on, I'll go with you to help her, not for myself. But when we went in and uh, we were brought in, offered a cup of tea, sit down and you're basically having having a chat and there's no judgment, there's, there's no pretense, it's just... Do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a bit of toast if you're hungry or whatever? Sit down, have, have a chat. And as you're chatting, they're listening and they're hearing you. That's yeah. the difference. Do you hear mm-hmm. what your needs are and where you need the assistance? When you don't often know yourself, I had gone through, I, I had separated from, I, I became, well, I was living with my boyfriend. We bought a house. Um, we were supposed to be saving to get married, but I, I found out I was pregnant and we were delighted. Unfortunately, the relationship broke down. Then within a year or two, my mother and father's relationship broke down. And then I had three sisters living here and they all emigrated. So my whole family support was gone in my 20s and I was lost. And then when I came out of that, I went into a depression and I couldn't walk. And I had a seven-year-old child and I was lost. I didn't know where to go. So I went to Doris Bay with my cousin to help her because I wasn't admitting that I needed mm-hmm. help. So I was like, I'll bring you down here and we'll go in. So they offered me adult counselling. They offered me daughter play therapy. I got onto a personal development course. And from there, I was able to apply for um, college. I went returned. Now, I've always done voluntary work in the community and youth work and stuff like that. So I've always worked full time and part time as well. And... Um, they helped me fill in my forms for college and then I went to Minute College. I did a community and youth diploma and then I went on to do a Bachelor of Arts degree and then I went on to do my Master's. So I did four years full time in Minute and I graduated with my Master's in 2011. It's so that's my own story. So I'm passionate about people when they come in the door so broken that mm-hmm. they don't know where they are or where they're going. And I can empathise with them and understand that you can have hopes and you can have aspirations and you don't have to fit into that box that somebody, some journalist that's writing about right. unmarried mothers that doesn't understand. You're budgeting better than <coughs> they can nearly in Dahl even with the money you have to try and survive and feed your family because you've so little disposable income. My childcare costs and my mortgage payments were equal and I was in a very high paid job and I still couldn't survive. I still had very disposable, very little disposable income at the end of the week. I used to call into different aunties when I'd know to be making a show on a Tuesday or whatever we'll get fed there and you know 
things that you don't talk about, you just do to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's why when people are coming in, people are proud and they don't want to share that stuff, what they do, what they need to do. But they come in, there's always food in doors where you like, you'd never get skinny. <laughs> there's always biscuits and scones yeah. and celebrate everything, celebrate birthdays. We celebrate International Women's Day, even the uh, Women's Campaign, 16 Days of Action. It's a very serious campaign, but we celebrate and we and we honour those women who their lives have been taken during this and then at the end of it we'll have a cake and we'll have a celebration because we're survivors and hopefully they're thriving by attending the social enterprise that is Dorsby. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your own story and I think it will inspire that often people say, you know, they are hiding. As you said, there's a lot of pride and the fact that you've emphasised how much it's not judgmental. That's what makes people, often we say, we're sowing seeds in the community. Yeah. And people sometimes feel, well, what made that difference? How come, you know, then you decided to make this change? And they'll say, I talked somebody, they didn't judge. I yeah. felt for the first time seen as a person. And a lot of the staff in Dorosbury would have experience of parenting alone. And a lot of the board members, if they're not parenting alone, they would be families, like children that were in a long parent family. So. Yeah, so that the empathy is crucial. They know yeah. from lived experience what it's like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Joy, can you tell me within the community, because your social mission in the Arch Cafe would kind of be double fault. So it's one the actual cafe, it's not like a commercial in that people, you know, often people are calling it's their own community in themselves. They might see certain people. You might have groups that are in the F2 and yeah. then they'll come in to, to that out of isolation to come and sit down and have a, a coffee or a treat once a week to, to link in with other people. But then you also have from the employment side, if you could talk to me a little bit about how you feel that the arch is also held up as a, for a number of role models. Um, yeah, Michelle, uh, I briefly spoke just there about the customers that are coming in, but the staff in um, the F2 centre and the Arch Cafe um, didn't really have a lot of confidence when they were arriving in, but they're all great now. You know, I've incorporated a bit of training. We first day training in there now, which is something that you'll always have to your advantage. Barista training, the girls... Um, didn't want to do because they felt oh no what if I can't do this it's a confidence thing you just guide them a little bit as much as you can now they have that safe pass for two years HACCP training for two years so not only are they doing this job and this is their job for life but these are the tools that we're providing with them through training from the F2 Enterprise Centre that they will carry with them through life they mightn't think that they need them but they they do need them in certain things I've noticed a big difference in um, everybody's spirits everybody's confidence they're smiling in their jobs now where they were afraid oh I can't do that because that's not my job I like people to multitask and to be able to do anything that they can do if they can't do it that's fine we talk about it we train them up we give them the support that they need and we've a few people now that um, will go on to nice better jobs that they feel that they wouldn't have been able to do because they didn't have the training that were given but I really feel it's a confidence that we've given people Uh, the confidence to admit oh well I couldn't do this before but now I can do it and can I do that if I ask somebody to do something can you do that oh no I'm not trained or I haven't done that where it's now it's can I do that can I do it you know it's given them they've built up a rapport with the customers that are coming in I like I like to know people's names when they come in because if an elderly person coming in I'm the first point one of this me or one of the staff would be the first point of contact they would have apart from the person that they've collected a pension from in the post office they'll come in they'll order the same thing make a little bit of a fuss out and give them a home away from home so 
I'm finding that because the staff are getting more confident and are enjoying work with the training that they have, it's reflecting onto the customers and everybody kind of knows everybody's name. Now we have a gang of uh, ladies that come in. They pu- we pull the three tables together for them. There's 10 of them sit around. Our tables are only for four. They come in after doing their little yoga classes with their little mats or their little knitting things. And it might only be a cup of tea or a scone that they're having. It's not about them spending money. It's about the quality time that we can provide them to have in the Arch Cafe stroke the F2 centre. And do you think another challenge that comes up for a number of social enterprises is that some social enterprises operate, but they don't have, it's not like when you go in, so if people go into the cafe. Mm-hmm. Do you think in general the community are aware that the Arch Cafe is a social enterprise? And do you think for the benefit of what I've understood that you're describing is that while people are working there, they're building up off what might be their, they're actually upskilling, but it's also their confidence and their personal development yeah. and in an environment that's welcoming and inclusive mm-hmm. and allowing for that time. So yeah. it's not as pressurised as perhaps other environments may be. They're more understanding mm-hmm. and there's the supports put in and wraparound. But do you think the customers are aware? Like, how do you find it in, in goodwill? Is there goodwill in the community to support the likes of a social yeah, enterprise like, like the Arch. We're, we're um, in a regenerated area um, in Rubens Plaza. And we a lot of the customers that we have are residents that live in the area or else it's their daughters and it's their grandchildren that are coming in. We have a playground right outside. We are just adjacent from... James's Hospital Lewis stop that when people pop off they can come in and have a cup of coffee because the hospitals are so busy it's blah 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 and it just gives some it just gives them a little place to go that whether it's a business meeting it's a course or whether it's just a little natter with your granny or your friend or your cousin or the kids out there playing so they are getting to know that we are aware there um, and yeah hopefully they it can just build from that Thank you and uh, how do you feel? As regards goodwill, have you experienced in Durisway a, a goodwill from the community in general, or you know how have you found that? Well, we've we would have different perceptions of of what we are because we're two um, we were two different organisations that came together over twenty years ago. So the resource resource centre was established in nineteen eighty six, and it came from the need of um, oh my mothers as they were called then. I don't like that term, but no. that's what they were called. Um, needed to do personal development and if you're parenting alone it's very difficult for you to go to a course or a job that starts at nine o'clock when you have children to get to school at nine o'clock you have to have that travel time that allowance is still not there for a lot of people whereas when they come into Dorsway they'll start the courses at 10 so it gives them the time to drop their children to school to come back into us and a bit of space and then if they're doing community employment they can start at half nine rather than nine o'clock so they have the travel time allowance Mm, the flexibility the flexibility to support them particularly parenting alone and the um, perception in the community would be so there's 80 parents 80 families that used the earliest they go to work, so they think it's a crash. And then there's the other cohort that use the resource that would come in and do the courses, and that's where I do the courses. So there's different perceptions within the community. However, those who use the centre can't speak highly enough about how they've improved their lives, and it's fantastic what we do, and blah, 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 blah. But we do need to raise the profile and raise the awareness within uh, the catchment area to let people know Oh, what a fantastic service it is. But there is, because it's sort of, we have like, it, it's it's hidden, it's off, the, it's off the road, it's behind the civic centre. And um, people will know, will get told where it is, but sometimes it can be difficult to find as well. So just the perception, it's either 
we do courses there or crash, they don't actually realise the whole impact of the in social media. In between the lines, yeah. they only see one yeah. or the other. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then like when they come in, it's about the connectivity, as you were saying, the, the sense of belonging, the sense of community that's actually within the service, people getting to know your name, getting to know your birthday. Like the teen parents, whether they're engaged with us or not, we'll always send them a birthday card because... God only knows whether they got one. Whether they've ever got one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we send it to the children to let recognise that your children's important as well. So just that connection there, that the little threads of connection to let them know, look, we're here if you need us. We're a voluntary participation organisation. It's not statutory. They don't have to attend us if they don't want to. So they come when they need. So they might somebody might come, say, 10 years ago, do, do a course, went off. They've hit a little bump in the road now and they come back and they need another bit of support. And um, we were doing a piece of research there recently and there was an assumption made from the researchers about community education that there's a certain level of um, difficulty and people have literacy issues, bloody well, I do that. And I got a bit on my high horse. I said, actually, people come in here with degrees and masters and mm-hmm. they've hit a bump in the road and the support systems have fallen. So it's not... There is some people There's who could... with them, isn't there, yeah, sometimes? There could yeah. be literacy issues. There could be technolo- technology and uh, uh, issues that they can't use smartphones and things like that and, and you cater for that but that's not the, 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 the broad spectrum of people are well up there and they're well able to communicate they just need a little bit of hand holding and guiding and then off they go again mm-hmm. and they might return again a couple of years mm-hmm. later Yeah so there's still some prejudice as in oh, yeah. you know oh, within, yeah. and, and say you said something else there that's really interesting to me so in telling your own story and then highlighting that the kind of prejudice people thinking that, you know, presuming different educational levels or maybe, as you said, literacy issues. Are there people that would have come into Durspui that subsequently have gone off and something else and then would come back yeah. to support? Is there anything? Yeah. Like, and how do people feel? Because having well, realised the benefits. Well, yourself, you, yeah, you I went to college. There, yeah. So I, I finished my college education in 2011 and then I got a couple of different jobs. I was a family support worker then I coordinated the Meals on Wheels service and I did that for a number of years and I disconnected from Durspui. So um, I had facilitated groups and all because I'm I don't know whether you know I'm born leader right so I'll do that <laughs> put my hands up and I'll do that and I'll try anything so um, I went off and I didn't really have the time to to be, participate and then uh, my, unfortunately my father got sick so he, he passed just before the start of the pandemic but um, my time had been taken up by other things and then um, the job came up for the programme coordinator and I went for the job and I didn't get the job <laughs> Mm-hmm. and I was like I know everything about it and I have all these qualifications but as I said my dad was sick at the time and my head I wasn't in the headspace for it so somebody else got the job unfortunately or fortunately they couldn't do it fortunately for you so I was the second choice and they came back and then offered me the job and I went ahead and took the job and that was 2018 so I've been there passionately ever since trying to make improvements and, and and raise the profile of Doris because it's such a fantastic service. It sounds great actually. It really yeah, is yeah, and, yeah. and we do need more people to get the word out there and spread the word and most people will come to us from word of mouth or we'll have referrals from uh, school completion officers or TUSLA or various different statutory organisations but we do need to raise the social enterprise end of it like we from the crash phase so we'll uh, people will pay a certain amount of it's a community crash so the, the rates are set They'll get a, su- a substance, uh, what's it called? Subsidy. A subsidy. Subsidy towards it. And um, the early years managers do all this. That's why I'm not too sure about it. And then they'll pay a certain amount. And then that's some of that percentage of that is put back into employing local people. So we can employ local people down from the area with, with what people are paying. So it's it's, it's, it's great for the community. They're paying lesser rates, cheaper rates than the childcare, than the private childcare sector. 
and whatever the balance is, what's left over is put back into employing local people. And we currently have um, two openings. So if anyone's interested in early years, we have a part time and a full time position that open at the moment. And then with the resource and we, we don't charge for the courses because we get funding from the CDETB. They provide facilitators. We do charge a small fee to provide tea and coffee and then resources like paints and stuff like that. So, again, that goes back into the community in enhancing their learning. And then we'll have we'll organise day trips where we charge a small amount, like a tenner for a family going to Tater Park. And that'll be subsidised by grants that we apply for. So it's all based on what grants we can apply for throughout the year. I'm constantly applying for different grants to enhance the lives of the families that we work with. And can you tell me, I know that you mentioned there, so if we're thinking about people that may not realise they're eligible for a two scheme, or people that um, would be able to go on a community employment scheme that they can actually come in and talk to yourselves yeah. or go and talk to somebody in the Department of Social Protection or local yeah. community employment supervisor or the TUS office. That How have you felt for, for both of you that would work in organisations that there may be people on community employment or TUS or could be the CSP and that often, as you said, that it's, you might be the, the time in their lives to give them the time and space to upscale in an environment that's very welcoming and can work with them at their pace. Mm-hmm. But then often after that, as, as you had said, Joy, they will go on to other things. And it might be that, you know, everybody may not stay in the same line of work, mm-hmm. but it's given them that time and space to upscale and to get inside their own head and think, OK, what's the next step in my life? What, what would I would like to do? Where before it may be, it might have been education, it might be in isolation or it might have been confidence that was mm-hmm. holding them back. Whereas by having that time and space. And so from a two-star community employment what would you say to, to encourage people to, to reach out to social enterprises and to look at opportunities that they will get out of that experience? Just to ask, just not to be afraid to ask what you're, what you're eligible to do, what you're entitled to do, and what you can do, because a lot of people think that they're in a certain bracket. doesn't really apply to kind of my job as such, but I've seen a lot of people, oh, I can't do that because of this and I can't do that. But if you don't ask, you're not going to know the answer. Like you were saying yourself, Fidel, like there's people you're doing your crashes at 10 or your courses at 10 o'clock in the morning. Some people don't realise that they think, oh, well, how am I going to get the kids to school? And that is a major thing because when you're rushing, you don't know what you're going to have to face in the morning. doesn't matter what your circumstances are. But if you have a deadline to be on and you're making a choice whether I have to stay at home and mind my child or go to work, you shouldn't really have them choices that, and you seem to be providing the, the care that. And we we in the enterprise centres where we have a crash in the back as well that help out the girls that I'm sure it's the same. I'm not really totally up on that but I do know that there is sources and resources there for anybody that works in the F2 centre whether they're a teacher whether they're going to the classes or whether they're working for me in the coffee shop if you don't know you're not going to if you don't ask you're not going to know the answer to the question so and everybody has something that they're either embarrassed about or don't want to talk about or anything but you know we're all human just try and educate yourself as to what you're entitled to and ask and then you have lovely Idel here now that has been through what she's been through and you know you never know what people are going through but when you ask them you can relate to people's stories and say well then you're doing great and you you know so yeah to encourage yeah, people I that there are benefits yeah. to taking part in there it is. Too, or in it's not just a course that you have to do because you're being told to do because of your social welfare educate yourself because you never know when you're going to need it in your life you know yeah, it's about raising awareness. It like go, going back to the community education, we've currently two positions for community education as well, open looking for people. Now a lot of people what wasn't doing it because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and the pub payment and look at the financial of it. Now there's not much of a financial benefit regarding if they're on the social welfare payment and they move into community education. 
but our community employment. But um, what actually happens is they get into a routine of working. Yeah. Like last, the last one we had, um, I'm not going to say her name, but she left us just before Christmas and she had been with us for two years. Our Christmas last year, and she'd been with us for two years. And she sent me an email about two weeks ago saying, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do the CE. She hadn't worked for 15 years. She'd raised her two children alone. They were now at the age where she could leave them and return to work. She learned administration skills. She learned reception skills. She learned the work in the crash. She learned so much just from being and doing, um, attending family events and this celebrations we do she was involved in everything because I would very much get them involved and get them trained up as, as much as possible plus the community employment offers them training on manual handling and all the uh, computer skills Excel Word and all that so she was upskilling constantly and she emailed me a couple of weeks ago to let me know she'd been she had moved from us to uh, another position and they'd offered her a full time position with a view for promotion as well so she t- said thanks for giving me that opportunity she probably never would have thought that would be possible yeah. two years ago yeah, yeah. so it's not only the financial difference because they're not is yeah. there's not a huge financial no. particularly if you have to pay for childcare it's not worth it you, no. you just couldn't afford it so that's an obstacle that's there that the policymakers need to look at to make like community uh, employment more accessible a bit more attractive well. looking for the, the loan it's not about the money but a lot of people that mean some it has to be the main thing if you if it's costing you money to go to work it doesn't matter what you're learning it's not really going to be enough for you no. but it's the confidence that you see of a couple of staff members that have come on leaps and bounds and the hey how are you what you want would you like your, would you like your regular stuff now where before it'd be oh don't ask me for something and that alone is great to see somebody grown as a person I find that very rewarding as a boss to see people that don't have and if it wasn't for the the CE schemes she wouldn't they wouldn't be able to kind of come to work yeah. you know but that doesn't mean they have to stay there and stay doing that. It's just a confidence in them when they, please God, they'll be ruling the world. And overall, do you think, you know, this whole campaign for Get Social Dublin, Invest in Your Community, what we were looking is to call out to a number of target audiences to say, look, we need everybody on board across the country to spread the word of social enterprises and their actual impact. Is there anything else you could think of or suggest of how we can raise the awareness of social enterprises on their impact? Anything else they can think that we're not doing or we should be doing or how we can encourage people to to look in their own local community and discover, oh, that's actually a social enterprise. What do they do? What is their social impact? Mm-hmm. And how can I in that, you know, we've been asking people to volunteer, to buy, we've asked procurement to look at opportunities. So it could be somebody as a, as a living in community, how you can buy in your purchases. But then also if you had a role in a procurement in the public or the private sector, how you can equally buy. Or as you said, for policymakers, how they can make things more obtainable for certain mm-hmm. social enterprises that may struggle with a lot of bureaucratic procedures or having the resources to actually spend the time because while they're filling in the forms, they may not be able to do something else, which might be the wraparound services or the training. Is there anything else that you would think we could be doing? to promote social enterprise awareness in Ireland. It's just, it's raising awareness and educating yourself basically and the structures that are in place, look at like from the top down, look at the policies that are in place. I was in the Dáil a couple of weeks ago, there's a whole reform going around the uh, family courts and there's a maintenance reform going on. So I still supporting the National Long Parents Alliance and it's so interesting when you're in there and you're listening to all these ideas and things that are getting thrown around but the action takes so long. Yeah. 
that people are stuck and lives are still continuing and like the mental health there's a huge mental health crisis in, in this country mm-hmm. I get phone calls every day of the week by play therapists there's a huge cohort of children that are refusing to go to school and their parents are lost they don't and I'm talking about from seven eight mm-hmm. upwards they're not teenagers anymore yeah. the anxiety has gone through the roof and that we're there at the grassroots level trying to support those crises on the ground that needs to be brought into into the doll into Leinster House and discussed and changes made as soon as possible they were able to change legislation for the pandemic and for COVID so it can be fast tracked through when it's needed so mm-hmm. just to increase like the, the uh, speed of how things change and community work is very slow and the community development work is very slow but the policies and the structures that are in place. The, the um, organisation Terrace was set up in 1972. That was the year I was born. That was 50 years ago. I'm admitting I'm 50 on radio. <laughs> and you look fabulous. <laughs> so I'm fabulous at 50. But the structures are still there. The constitution Haven't still changed. doesn't recognise a lone parent family. Like the family is based on marriage. So lone parents does not fit into that box because we chose not to marry for whatever reason. So these basic structures, the constitution I think was 1937. It's 2022. Mm-hmm. Things need to change. So the policymakers and those in power need to listen to what the social enterprise need for us to thrive. But getting back to the roots of community and and where social enterprise came from, it was from the the women that weren't allowed to marry and weren't allowed to work in this country when they had children. There was a marriage bar. That's where the social enterprise came from. They went around and knocked at doors, collected a few bob, organised a summer project for the kids and that's where it all came from. Mm -hmm. So that's where the social enterprise grassroots are. So they're coming from the community to enhance the community and put back into the community but it needs more support, more um, statutory support and more from the policymakers and the funders. I'd like to thank Adele and Joy for sharing us with their own personal stories, which are inspirational and to have show and demonstrate to us how social enterprises are so beneficial when they're embedded in our communities and the number of the ways they're impacting people's lives on a daily basis. Thank you for listening to Get Social Dublin, Invest in Your Community. If you'd like to listen back to any of our episodes, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 